Welcome back, Real Talk listeners. Oh my gosh, we are starting a new series. I'm super stoked about this one. Although I kind of say that about, I feel most of them, but not all of them. Some series I'm like, meh, and I'm sure you are as listeners, but this one is super awesome. We're really talking about really mentorship, right? And like what you would have like to get some insights into if you were mentored or what you would have liked to know. So it's really um, an interesting series that we're going through because there's a lot of first-time leaders or leaders that have been through different situations. And it's interesting to talk through the dynamics. And we have a lineup of awesome, phenomenal speakers for this series um, that have had a range of experience in regards to really uh, what they wish they would have had mentioned to them. So um, Michelle and I are here. We're recording today. We're talking through literally the what this what you can anticipate with your series with this series. But in addition, we're talking about how we feel about it and what we wish we'd have would have known. So hey, Michelle, what's going on? What do you think is going to be really the big pivotal thing in this series? What are you feeling? So, you know, it's really interesting. I've talked to a lot of people because we actually were able to get, like you talked about all the great guests we got on these episodes. We were actually able to get lots of people that volunteered and said, yeah, I'd love to do that because they can remember that struggle. So the challenge is, there's actually a two-part challenge when it comes to being a first-time leader. The first one is you don't usually get training until you get the job. And then even when you do get training, it's usually technical skills versus interpersonal or sometimes referred to as soft skills. And the one thing you never get unless you have a mentor is advice or things to look out for in your role as a manager. Uh, And that's really where a mentor would come into play for you because I just truly, honestly, having been in L&D for over a dozen years, I can't imagine writing a training program that encompasses all of the advice that you need. But unfortunately, most companies don't assign new leaders a mentor. And if they do, the mentor doesn't really know what to do. So they struggle. So guys, these are going to be just tips, advice, or things to look out for as you jump into this role. One really good example, I'll jump right in, is I remember when I took my first job as a manager, you guys have heard me talk about my first job as a manager. I was definitely promoted too soon. But I remember my manager telling me, you can't be friends with these people. And I actually remember hearing the exact same thing in my last job from my leader. You can't be their friends anymore. And so I want to pause on that for just a moment. And I want to talk about it. So it is relatively good advice that you need to re-level set working relationships. It is really bad advice to tell you not to get to know your team because it's the only way you're ever going to influence or lead them the way they need to lead, to to be led. What I wish I had been told was the following. Hey, you know what? These guys were your buddies last week. Chances are maybe you don't have to admit it or own it, 
the chances are good that maybe hanging out after work, you had a little talk about the man and you both agreed about how the boss was getting all up in your business and you were all on the same page. And now that relationship is different. I do not believe that means you can't be around those people outside of work. I believe what that means is you've got to pull them aside and you've got to say, hey, here's the deal. I love our friendship. I really think we have fun hanging out together. We have a ton of stuff in common. I don't want to lose that, but I want to talk about how my role will be different when I am in charge of getting things done. So before, when I could just join the bandwagon about the frustration, now I'm being held accountable to getting stuff done. And this is the path that I've chosen because I want that responsibility. So if you're not able to understand how the role I will play at work will be different than it was last week, then we need to talk about what our relationship does look like, right? I think it's a hard conversation to have, but here's the deal. Taught lots of first-time managers, leadership training, and it is the, it's the one thing that I could say to them and you could see their eyes physically pop out like biggest saucers. And it was like a moment of awareness that they had not considered. And I would always tell them, I would say, guys, whether you think you're buddies with your employees or not, they now see you as the man. You are the man, you're the boss, you're the whatever word you want to put in that. You're the boss. And that's the way they look at you from now forward. So if a communication comes out from your corporate office that the employee base does not like or appreciate or a policy changes, you are now the boss, the person responsible for deploying that policy. You might not want to see yourself that way because it's so new, but I promise you, your people see you that way. So the sooner you're able to have that conversation, the easier it is to navigate that. Yeah, it's interesting because the dynamics shift a little bit, especially um, it's happened to me a couple of times where I've been peers with someone and then I've led them. And then you're like, now you're the boss. Like you're no longer like, I don't know. It, it was It was always interesting, right? Because the best practice has always been. And I think that goes back to a little bit like of uh, the older style leadership is like, you can't be friends with individuals. Yeah. I hear you, but I think it's more like you can't be overly friendly or let things slide because then you create that, that culture amongst the rest of the team observing that like, this is your buddy, you're playing favoritism instead of having like a non-biased type of decision when things come up. So I think it's super critical that when you're phrasing that to someone that you phrase it in a right way that helps elevate them and understand what you mean when you say that. Like you can go out and have a drink with people in a group setting that you work with. At least it's my perspective. But if you have 10 drinks and you get sloppy and then borderline harassment happens or you spill too much about what's going on in the organization, that can create some chaos. So, you know, finding balance, I would say, in harmony is probably very helpful. Yeah. I agree completely. What about you, Maria? What's one of the things that you're like 
God, somebody should have told me this. Yeah, it's, um, I would say, you know, there's, there's a couple that, you know, we've kind of identified just in general. Um, but I think, uh, you know, there's a whole ton of opportunity to really talk through, you know, some opportunities. I would say for me thinking through, you know, like when you're talking about when I was a first time leader, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I was really thrown into being a leader right away in an organization. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I would say I always at the beginning try to play the hero and jump in, like, like protect my team and rescue them from things and make sure, because I also knew that it was like my ass on the line. And <laughs> if I didn't cover for them and get things done, then, you know, things would be put on me or, or someone else would be let go. And as a result, I was trying to overcompensate for that, but it created other turmoil, like just, you know, with me jumping in all the time, AI was getting exhausted and burnt out from having to do that. Then the team started being able to identify they were able to lax and not get things done. And so it's, um, it really, it doesn't really do you, um, any justice when you try to jump in there. (laughs) It is a super, you know what it's, but it's one of those things, like you said, new managers fall into that trap because they know how to do, in most cases, they know how to do that previous thing that they're trying to get done. And they know that their ass is on the line, that they're going to be held responsible. So things are going well. It's just easy to jump in. I cannot tell you how many managers use the following phrase. New managers use the following phrase. It's quicker and probably more accurate if I just do it. Amen. Yep, sure is. And you're going to be just doing it for the next 10 years. So you go, you go with your little self. It's true. And I think a lot of people think that way. Like it's, I can literally get it done in five seconds rather than taking five minutes to explain this to someone else. But if I took five minutes the first time, hopefully they got it and released most of it to be able to try it the second time on themselves. And I think that's, at the beginning, that's kind of where I was in leadership is like, it's, I'd rather just do it myself. It's done right. It's done quicker. I don't have time. Like, and I think that's the problem as you're going through the motion of life. And as we've continued building organizations, the goal is to get things done quicker with less people, which means what, like you don't have time to show people that stuff. So how do you get it done? Like, how do you, how do you find the five minutes when you're already short staffed or staffed quote unquote to appropriate levels? Right. So it's tough. It really is. It is tough. So you're not guys, you're not going to have me or Maria there to walk through this with you, but I, I've literally walked through this following process about a dozen times with different leaders. And one example I'm going to use is a process in retail, which is kind of like closing out the day. It usually entails reconciling all of your money and, you know, crazy stuff like that. But I had a manager tell me over and over again, he said, I can do it in 20 minutes and it'd be right. It takes her 45 minutes and then I'm going to have to go back and check her. And I was like, how long do you think you're going to have to check on her every day? And he said, you know, I'd feel comfortable checking on her for a month. Okay, how long does it take you 
to validate that what she did was accurate. Yeah, it takes about five minutes, okay? And he said, but you don't understand. It takes her twice as long to do it. And I said, how many times have you? We literally walked through the math of five minutes for him to validate for the next three months, even built in some time for errors that he had to correct in that period. And then we built in... 20 minutes that he invested in that every single day for the rest of his effing life. (laughs) And the answer became, invest this time now. She won't take 45 minutes forever. She will take 45 minutes in the beginning because she's trying to get it right. And you've already made it such a big flicking deal that she probably... (laughs) She probably looks at every piece of paper a dozen times, just making sure she signed it in all the right places because you've got her on edge. The same thing, I will tell you, I use the same example with my sister and her grandchildren. Like she will not, she just won't let them wash the dishes because they don't wash the dishes the way she washes the dishes. And I keep every single time, I'm like, okay, how long does it take you to do that? And how are they ever going to learn to do it correctly if you don't let them? And so the compromise for her became they wash the dishes, but they always go in a specific drainer just for them, like a dish drainer, so that she can check them before she puts them in the sink and then show them where they might have missed something. I know, guys, I, in a really, really busy retail store that was on-demand production, we were training location. I get the time it takes to slow down. I also get that you can't be the only person that knows how to do something or you're setting everyone up for failure. It's true. Yeah. I mean, that's just the hardest part of it all. You can't be the only one. And then when you go out on vacation, like they just go down. It's epic failure. Right. And think about how many times, Maria, leaders have told you, I have to check my email on vacation. (laughs) I have to answer my phone because otherwise it could be bad. Another one that sticks out for me is this, the way I used to explain it, and I've, I've seen it read, I've read it a little different than this, but I used to talk about the difference between consistency and sameness. One of the things that you, as a first-time leader, you are going to have people, including your HR team, beating this into your head. You have to treat everyone the same. You have to treat everyone the same. You have to treat everyone the same. Okay, what that means is every person is held to the same expectations, the same policies, the same procedures, the same code of conduct. It does not mean that you're necessarily going to communicate with me the same way you would Maria, because we're different people. Some people They're going to want you to get in right away and tell them. Other people, you're going to look at them and you're going to be like, did you do that? And then they're going to beat themselves up for the next three days. So you don't even have to do anything but say, okay, how are you going to make sure you don't do it again? And then just like that, the problem is resolved. So when you think about like, 
I, I know that I always use really simple analogies here because, well, it's harder when you don't have the real situation to deal with complex analogies. So I'm going to go with attendance. Okay. The policy is the policy. You miss X amount of days. Think about your company's attendance policy. You are allowed to miss X amount of days in X period of time before it results in maybe a first write-up, a second write-up, a third write-up, right? Everybody, your best employee and your laziest, worst employee, everybody gets that level one when they've missed the same number of days. The difference is probably going to be how long you have the conversation with one versus the other, how long you had to follow up with one versus the other, the kind of recommendations you give one versus the other. And honestly, it could be the kind of accommodations. You're going to have to give each person accommodations if you give accommodations that are appropriate. But let's say one person has a temporary situation where their daycare opens half an hour late, thank you, COVID-19, or something ridiculous like that, your reasonable accommodation might be to shift their schedule a little bit, and now they don't come in late. Now, then you've got me, no kids, and I can't go. My kids are late. So you've got to find out what's causing me to be late, and you've got to address that issue. So I know that's super simple way of looking at it, but if it says you get six absences in six months, everybody gets talked to the minute you hit six. It doesn't matter if they've been there 20 years and they're your best employee or they're a temp and they've only been there six weeks and they've already hit six absences. Everybody gets the same documentation the conversation might be different and the solution will be different. That's true. I don't think people think about how everybody communicates a little bit differently or, you know, they need a different approach. I think a lot of, especially first time leaders, but I've seen this with experienced leaders is they do like a one size fits all approach and it doesn't always work. It's interesting. Yep. What else you got, Maria? Yeah, I would say, you know, when you take a look at some of the feedback um, for first-time leaders, I think it's, um, you know, just super interesting because leaders can fall into, you know, different arenas. And we've facilitated this a little bit, but you can either be, you know, kind of, I, I like to call it like the Goldilocks situation. You can be like too hot, too cold, just right kind of a situation. And so when you think about like, too cold, maybe like, you know, absent, an absentee leader, you know, like, oh, like I just got into this position. I got the position for a while. Like I'm just going to continue doing my role or whatever it was before, or I just started at the organization. So I'm just going to kind of like let everybody do their own thing. And then, or you could be like the too hot where like you're micromanaging everybody. You're trying to figure out what people are doing, but you're not really trying to do it in a subtle way so that you're learning if you're new to the organization. So it's super important, I think, to have that balance. I've, And it's interesting because like I've been peers with other leaders and we'd actually worked in the same facility together, locations on different shifts. And 
it's super incredible to see like other leaders actually get into those positions and you're like up here with someone and you're like, what are you doing? I can't, it's like, you can't look, you can't just look at it. Like you're, and then you're like, how do you coach your peer? You're like, oh man, like, what do I say? I guess I can't really judge them or say anything. So I'm just going to continue doing me. So, (laughs) you know, it's so funny guys. If you are lucky enough to have a peer that will talk to you or a mentor that will talk to you. Some people don't listen, Maria. I mean, just straight out will not listen. I usually, because like you pointed out in this example, there's a lot of, you will either do this or you will do this. You will either be the cool boss or you'll come in and be the bad boss because you're trying to clear house, whatever it is. Most people tend to go to one extreme or the other. And when I've warned people, some of them are super open to it and they learn from that and they pay attention to it. They're able to catch it and stop it before it gets out of control. And then others are like, not me. It's not what I'm going to do. Yeah, it it's um, sometimes you just can't watch. But at the same time, you know, it's it's interesting. And that's a whole nother conversation. I think we've talked about this a little bit when you're able to successfully learn and educate your, like how to manage down across and up in the organization. A lot of first time leaders struggle with how to balance that and even do it at all. So you have really have to observe what good looks like sometimes to be able to do that and help to kind of navigate some of those conversations. With micromanagement. So Um, Maria, you talked earlier about how when you are constantly stepping in to be the hero, eventually people, the learned behavior, and trust me, I believe most behavior is learned. Most things in life are learned. Nurture nature, blah, blah. We can discuss it all day long. But the minute you tell me that you can get better or worse at something means there's elements of learned in it, right? So you related it to how people would become complacent if you were always jumping in. They would realize you're going to do it for them. Eventually, your rock star employees stop doing the work too. My best piece of advice for you is to stop telling people who know how to do their job how to do their effing job. If they know how to do their job, stop. Unless, and I'll give you, I'll give you a couple reasons that you might want to step in unless policies and procedures have changed and they haven't changed with it or unless your fresh set of eyes see some gaps where it could become a little bit more efficient in the process. And then I think that becomes a conversation with your employee versus a demand, not the policy thing, but the efficiency thing. Because if they're really good at it, they could probably tell you where it could get faster if they changed a few things. So the moment you try to get all up in your employee's business, like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it this way? Give me an update. I need to know what you're doing. Stop telling people who know what to do, how to do their jobs, because eventually they will stop doing their jobs. Yeah. It's interesting because um, you mentioned Michelle at some point in conversations, you know, I is no longer relevant. I'd love to get your insights on this. So 
We all know that I have a very clear opinion about leadership. If you stepped into the role of a people manager, your job is to help your people do their job. And I don't mean do it for them. I mean, move shit, communicate effectively, make sure they know what's happening, get them the resources they need. Your job is to help them do their jobs correctly. So I believe that even if you have employees that you are training to do the job, I believe that your job is to let them do their job. As a result, I don't give a crap what you do. I remember, actually, I could tell you a number of times in my last role before I went full-time real talent, I would give my team credit, but I'd be like, hey, we did this, or Jenny did this, or Tiffany and team did this, Melissa, Missy did this. And I would, I would lay out, like, this is what we accomplished. And I remember my peers and my boss constantly going, we know that you did that. No, guys, I didn't. I didn't. Here's what I did. I showed up. I made sure that my entire team understood the importance of doing said thing. Like, for example, deploying an accurate and trackable COVID-19 procedure in nine different locations in four different states across the United States. I made sure they were on board. I made sure they understood what good finished would look like. And then I said, okay, let's go. Did I pick up some stuff and type some stuff within that? Yes, of course I did. I was part of the team at one point, at multiple points, but it really was a we. And I can remember having arguments where I would be like, no, they did this. My job was to get them the time, the resources, and the tools, and to make sure that we were all on the same page to do it. There was an analogy that we used for years in a leadership class that we taught at FedEx. And it was about the idea of leaders pushing their teams up a hill. If you have one employee on your team, okay, it's going to be exhausting if you're always pushing your person, right? But you probably do it. But the more people you add to your team, you can't physically force them all to go up that hill to that objective. You literally have to inspire them and then walk alongside with them to see where they're struggling and you can pull them out. So when I say we, I genuinely mean we did something. Even if one person's role was just brainstorming, in my mind, they were still a part of the process. It's interesting you say that because there's a couple of things that are coming to mind for me. And so, yes, they are still part of the process, um, but there is also an eye in things. So it's so interesting um, because when I was interviewing for a position, I was instilled so much of the we and team that when I was in an interview, I kept saying we and they were like, 
um, so what exactly was your role? And I'm like, well, we really helped implement, implement this and we conducted benchmarking and it can literally get so frustrating to a recruiter when that is like pounded into you so much that you're brainwashed that you have not solely accomplished anything. So I want to put that out there for individuals. Like you can only go so far with the I and the we's, um, or the we's I should say, before you really have, like, think about your audience before you decide to like remove that from your vocabulary. That is so funny that you did that because I did too. And the exact response was the same. They were like, okay, that's great and all, but what did you do? I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. So yeah, you do have to. Yeah, you have to think about, you know, time, like there's a time and a place to talk about we. And it's like, you're kind of passionate about like having the team camaraderie and working together on so many things. I get it. But then there's like a time and a place for you to focus on yourself. And it's really when you have to sell yourself in an organization. So I'd say the other place that you've got to know that difference is, When it comes to my boss or my peers providing feedback for something that didn't go well, I always take it all. And if there is something that literally an employee did wrong, like, first of all, I'd probably question myself first, like, was I supposed to prove that? You know, like, what role did I play? But it would always be, I would take ownership for that. And then if coaching needed to happen, I would coach my team, but um, that's another example of when I hate the idea that shit rolls downhill. I hate that phrase. First of all, here's what I hate. Feedback doesn't have to be nasty. People, I don't even understand why we have set up our work environment to feel like you're going to get shit with phrases like shit rolls downhill. Like, just don't be an asshole. That's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. It is. Yeah. And most people are grownups and you can be as simple as just saying, hey, you were supposed to be on site on Monday and you weren't. What happened? <laughs> and that's it. And almost that's another. Oh, speaking of, here's another one. The phrase accountability is a new leader. I bet almost all of you think that means you're going to write someone up. Yeah, you got to hold them accountable, right? Hasn't everybody heard that phrase? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Accountable. And I learned this at FedEx. I learned a lot of good stuff at FedEx. Like some of it was what not to do, but a lot of really good stuff. And FedEx has a really intensive quality process because they want to make sure that what they give is accurate when they give stuff to the customer. And it had to be initial, like there was this, there was this post-it note that said, John checked your order and everything was great. And that was the moment that I realized and I talked to my production leaders about it. Accountability doesn't mean go yell at them for not doing it their job. It just means, hey, John, no, she didn't put your sticker on this. What's going on? And just like that, John's a grown up. He comes over. He goes, I'm really sorry. I missed that one today because I was rushing. And he puts the sticker on saying that he quality checked it. That's what accountability means. It just means letting people know what they're responsible for and then trying to find out what happened if they didn't meet those expectations. It does not mean writing them up. 
It might, but I would tell you to consult with someone before you even think about putting it on paper. So Michelle, I know we we have a really awesome speaker on Wednesday or, you know, coming up on the next Wednesday's episode, Brandon. So, you know, what tips do you have for our listeners keening uh, and listening and tuning in to our podcast to prepare for some of our speakers? So I would say, guys, if you listen through this podcast without writing stuff down, go back. You don't even have to listen to the whole thing, forward through it and get the the clips or the highlights, because seriously, there's a reason that people say the most common mistakes for the manager. Like if you Google common first-time manager mistakes, I guarantee out of the billion search results that come up, there's very, very little unique. And that's because we all make the same mistakes as first-time leaders. Some go to one extreme and some go to the other. So Tip number one, write it down. Go ahead and self-reflect and think about which ones you think you are prone for. Micromanagement is probably one of the most common ones because there are several reasons people tend to micromanage, including they don't know what they're doing. So they think if they know every detail of what everybody else is doing, that it's going to make them look smart for their boss. So go ahead and write down the ones you think you're going to fall into. And then I'm going to give you, we're just going to do two tips. And then Maria, you can jump in and offer any tips you have. My next one would be go ahead and consider who would be a good mentor for you. It needs to be someone who remembers being a first-time manager, someone is who is willing to be honest and direct and offer you feedback. I would probably make a list of a handful of people that you feel like you would have a great relationship with and then take that list to your boss and say, I was thinking that I could use these folks as sounding boards. What are your thoughts? And then let your boss help you facilitate making that connection. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm not even going to add anything to that because I think that's, you know, a a really, really critical component for our our key points for our listeners to tune in and listen to. I think listeners, I think at the end of the day, listen in to a lot of the feedback some of our guest speakers are going to provide you. It's um, very interesting um, because uh, they have so many different insights and I want you to, to key in on how even if you're a current leader or you're like, I know this already, what could you be doing differently if you're leading someone else? And what can you be doing or what advice can you give someone, even if you're not leading and someone else like that you're observing or mentoring, or you have an opportunity to share. So definitely an area for us to, to continue and tune in next time. It's going to be an awesome series. So keep it listening until next time. Take care.